Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us. If you would be opening your Bibles to Psalms, the 51st chapter. Psalms, the 51st chapter. What a wonderful evening for us to count our blessings. I remember when I went to a lot of worship services and all summer long people fanned the way you're fanning. And, uh, and people just kept coming back. And they never mentioned a word about how hot it was because it was that hot every Sunday and every Wednesday night. And uh, how blessed we are to only do this a few times a year. And maybe not even that often sometime. We are so thankful and so proud of our young people that have come back this week from a very successful campaign in Camilla, Georgia. Uh, the church there just wanted them to stay. They wanted to adopt them. They wanted them to be workers in the kingdom there uh, from now on. And uh, what a, a joy it is to know that we have young people that love God, want to serve God, and they're not waiting, looking down the road to say, when I become an adult, this is what I want to do for God. But they want to serve God today, and they want to be a part of the church today. I think one of the worst expressions that has become popular in the Lord's church is that our young people are the church of tomorrow. We've got serious problems in the church if our young people are the church of tomorrow. They better be the church of today, and the church of tomorrow will take care of itself. And how blessed we are to have young people here that are a part of the church today, and they're active, and they're serious, and they're faithful servants, and we're thankful for you. When we think about uh, a short series that we're doing over the joy of salvation, when you lose something something you love and something you appreciate, don't you want it back? Have you ever lost anything? Maybe it's a sentimental piece of jewelry. Maybe it was something very important. Maybe it was some kind of documents or paperwork. And they had extreme value to you for one reason or another. And when you lost them, you begin to think everywhere you could have left them. And you begin to long for them again, wanting them back, thinking about what you could do to obtain them again. Tonight... I would like to believe that everyone here would have so much longing and heartbreak to have salvation back if, in fact, that you don't have it now. Now, we looked last week from Psalms 51, and we looked at if we have been restored, our salvation brought back to us, what have we been brought from? We've been brought from transgressions. We've been brought from iniquities. And we've been brought from sin. And we looked at all those last week and the blessing that it is that we've been brought from those things. But now that we have arrived now, what is it that we enjoy? What is it about salvation that we enjoy? Now the truth is, we could probably begin listing a hundred things that we enjoy about salvation. But let's just go back to the text of Psalms 51 and let's see what are the things that David said that he enjoyed about this. If you were not here last week, I'll just quickly remind you that this is the text that it is believed that David prayed this prayer after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and after he had her husband killed. And Nathan comes and identifies him as the man that has committed sin against God and he owns up to that sin and he begins to long to have his salvation restored. And so we're studying from this to see what is this great salvation. Look with me if you will to Psalms 51 and verse 17. Psalms 51 and verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. 
Now, isn't that interesting when he talks about what God would not despise? In other words, it's the opposite of saying, God, you would find joy in these things. Now, if you back up just a few verses, we don't have a slide right now for it, but if you'll back up a few verses, verse 12 is where he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And so David's saying, I want salvation restored to me. I want the joy of knowing that I am saved. And then he sets that in opposition to saying, Lord, I know what broke your heart. What broke your heart was my sin. And now what I want to offer to you is not just sacrifice. Now keep in mind, this was the day that sacrifices were made of animals upon altars. And so he doesn't begin exploring what kind of animals would God want me to offer for the sin that I've committed. The first thing God wanted was a broken heart. Now oftentimes when we study the Beatitudes, they're on your screen. You see Matthew the 5th chapter and verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I believe this is probably one of the most misunderstood Beatitudes of the Beatitudes. Someone glances that, and at first glance they say, isn't that wonderful? We have a God that comforts us whenever we're grieving, whenever we're mourning. Now that is true. I'm not saying that 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 statement is false. 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, tells us that God's a God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. But that's not what this verse is teaching. This verse is talking about a specific kind of grief. This verse is talking about the grief that someone has when they find themselves like David. They, for whatever reason, come to their senses and they realize, I have sinned against God. I have broken God's heart. Here is a tremendous test for you and I. When we find ourselves as sinners, what do we do? You know, our human nature is oftentimes we begin to make excuses for why it must be okay. We begin to try to justify why it must be okay. We begin to start blaming other people. Well, it can't be my fault. Look at the people around me. Look at my family. It's the church's fault. They're the ones that have neglected me. Oh, it's God's fault. If God wouldn't have put me in this situation in life, I'd have never committed that wrong. Isn't it amazing how oftentimes, instead of having a broken heart that says, God, I have sinned against you, and it breaks my heart that I have broke your heart. Isn't it amazing how many people, instead of doing that, will begin to blame everything and everyone else. One scholarly type historian looked at what David did, and he made an interesting observation. And I want you to know, I'm not saying that, that this observation is true. I just like this observation because it makes me think. If you would, look to this next screen and notice this quote. Again, I'm just offering this to you to make you think. When has this been done before or since. See, what this person is saying is, when have you ever heard of a king that has done such wrong admit that they've done that wrong with no excuses? We can think back to our leaders in this land. And what do they oftentimes do? Before I admit anything, I'm going to send out polls, and I'm going to find out first if I ought to admit it, and second, if I should admit it, when am I going to admit it, and third, when I'm going to admit it, how am I going to admit it? Can you imagine David doing that? Oh, Nathan, 
you are right, I'm the man, but don't tell anybody until I put a poll out and see how that's going to settle with the people. I may not want to admit that I was wrong at this time. David, I sure don't want to get people talking about me, or Nathan, I don't want to get people talking about me behind my back. Listen, I may not want to admit right now that I'm wrong. Isn't this interesting, this observation, as he says, Mary, queen of Scots, would declare that she was above the law. Charles I would have thrown over Bathsheba. James II would have hired witnesses to swear away her character. Muhammad would have produced a revelation authorizing both crimes. Charles II would have publicly abrogated the seventh commandment. Queen Elizabeth would have suspended Nathan. I don't know if those people would have done those things, but it does make us stop to think. Here is a king that has so much power and authority on earth that none of us here can identify with that kind of power. But yet he humbly admitted, I've sinned against God, and it breaks my heart. Until I can have that kind of reasoning towards sin, I can never know the joy of salvation. Now, I hope someone is on their toes enough tonight that you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, I thought he was going to talk about the positive side, that once we've been saved from these things, these are the things that are joyous. And that's what I'm saying to you tonight from the Scripture. David said, I want my salvation restored, and I want the joy of that salvation. I want to know that I have offered to God what God loves. God, what is it you love? And he says, I want to offer to God a broken heart. Friends, tonight, if you're sitting there saying, I should be going forward and I should be baptized into Christ tonight, and I know it, but something's holding you back. Or if you're saying, you know, I've been holding back for a long time and I need to make my life right. I need to pray forgiveness tonight and something's holding you back. I want you to see that really it is a beautiful thing that your heart is breaking because you have committed sin. You show me someone that's committed sin and they don't care. And that is a terrible, terrible thing. You see, there's hope. There's hope for people that are hurting. Let's skip the next slide and let's go to Psalms 51 and 3 and let's notice how David says this. We have been talking about it, but let's read it in the Scriptures before we move to the next point. Psalms 51, let's read verse 3 and 4. For I acknowledge my transgression. You hear what he's, how blunt he is? Not I'm making excuses for it. I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Wait a minute, I thought he sinned against Bathsheba. I thought he sinned maybe against his, his nation. I thought he sinned against others. And David says, at this time, I'm wanting to take care of one matter my relationship with God. And all of this sin that I've committed, I've sinned against God. Let's see a second thing. Let's read now Psalms 51 and verse 12, as we have already referred to it. And so first we see that there is joy in salvation in knowing that I've had a broken heart for the things that were wrong. 
That's a wonderful thing because that's the pathway to salvation. That's a part of it is being sorry for the things that breaks God's heart. But you know, none of us can relieve the guilt of our past sins on our own. Have you ever been stranded on the interstate? I know today almost everybody has uh, a mobile phone and it really takes away from this illustration for you younger ones, but any of you that have been driving for a few years, you remember what it was like to be on the interstate or to be on a quiet road far away from home and something happened to your vehicle and you didn't have whatever it took to put that vehicle back on the road. You didn't have it. You had to depend upon someone to stop and offer you something you couldn't do for yourself at that moment. Maybe it was to go down and make a call for you. Maybe it was to take you somewhere Wow, what a feeling it is when some nice and gracious person stops and they offers for you what you could not do for yourself. Friends, spiritually, that's where we all are. Even if we say, I am so sorry that I've sinned against God, we can't remove the guilt of our sin. We have to have a God that says, I love you so much, I'll lift you up. I'll forgive you of that sin. Let's look at Psalms 51 and verse 12. He is speaking to the Lord when He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David knew that it was going to have to be God that would bring all of this back together in his life. David's willing to do his part. David's willing to repent. And David's willing to confess. David's willing to do his part, but his part wasn't enough. He knew that only God could cleanse him. God could remove the guilt of that past. Let's look to Romans, the sixth chapter. In Romans, the sixth chapter, let's read a few verses here as we think about under the new covenant. Keep in mind, we've been studying thus far under the old covenant, but we need to study this particular point under the new covenant to think about how does God lift you and I up today out of sin. Now, a lot of the time as we study this, we put the emphasis on where our sins are forgiven, and that's for good reason. That's where salvation takes place is when our sins are forgiven. But what I want us to see is not only that, but I want us also as we look at this, put the emphasis on the fact who lifts us up. In other words, who forgives us of our sins? And in that we see a joyous picture. We see something to rejoice about. Here we go. We're in Romans, the sixth chapter. And um, I tell you what, before we read this, Jeff, will you go to the next slide and uh, show, see this picture here? We have Christ dying on the cross. He was buried three days later. He arose. Remember, he said this morning, I am the resurrection, John 11. But then the bottom is what you and I are to do. We're to crucify the old person of sin. That's repentance. We're to put to death the old person of sin because we know what breaks God's heart and we don't want to break God's heart. But then what we need to do is we need to be buried in the waters of baptism, Acts 2, 38, and many other passages. It is there that God says... That is the location that He will take away the guilt of our sins. The power is not in the water. The power is in the one who said, get into the water. Now notice, as we come up out of that water, we see a man lifting another out of that water. But what takes place spiritually is the Lord is lifting us up spiritually and we have a new life. Why is life new? Life is new because the guilt of our sin has been taken away. How did that take place? Because God was there saying, Let me give you a hand up. Let me do for you what you can't do for yourself. Let me forgive you of your sins. And let me give you life again. Friends, if you don't find joy in that, something's wrong. 
to think that God would do that and it would cost the life of His own Son. I love you enough. I want to lift you up. It's going to cost the life of my Son on a cross. I'm ready. Let me help you up. Now let's drop back and let's see this in a verbal form. It's the same picture. Let's see it in words. Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, who raised Jesus? It was the glory of the Father that raised Jesus. And what are we supposed to do? We're to be raised in that same way, the glory of God lifting us up too. Jesus was dead in a grave and God lifted Him up. We're dead in a sinful grave and Jesus and God lifts us up. Notice how it's said again in verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Now verse 6 is where we go back to the cross, what you saw on that last screen. Verse 6 is back to the cross. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. David said, I find great joy in the fact that God can restore to me salvation. What a beautiful thought. He's the one that can lift us up. Nobody else can do it. The only one that can do it is willing to do it. That's a beautiful thought. Let's see the last point here. Let's go back to our text. We're in Psalms, the 51st chapter. And now we're going to see how when the Lord lifts us up. Now let's think about this, what we covered so far. What is a joy is when whatever breaks God's heart is what breaks my heart. What's a joy is whenever I want my sins forgiven and I do my part, God will reach down and do His part. And when God does His part, He doesn't say, good job, good job, we'll see you, and walk away. When He does His part, He puts His arm around you and says, welcome to the family. I've just adopted you. And I want to live the rest of your life on this earth, and all of eternity having a relationship with you. I want to be close to you. I love you, and I want you to love me. What a beautiful thought. And think about that in opposition to loneliness. To have one that's always there for us, that loves us more than anybody has ever loved us. Now with that in mind, let's look at Psalm 51. We're going to begin reading at verse 11. And I'm going to try to emphasize every time the word your is mentioned. In other words, here, what David is longing for is he wants God in his life. And, and it's going to be obvious as we read this, this is what he wants desperately. Notice how the emphasis on, is on God. Psalms 51, beginning verse 11, he's saying to God, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me by Your generous Spirit. Then I will teach transgressors Your ways and sinners shall be converted to You. David, what do you want? And David says, when I was away from God, I realized that I was lost. 
And it broke my heart that I broke God's heart. And I know He's the only one that can lift me up. And, and I'm so happy that He's willing to lift me up. Well, David, why did you want all of this? And he says, I want His presence, His Spirit, His salvation, His ways. See how David places the emphasis? It's all about God. In other words, David could have just said, I want God in my life. The relationship is so very important. Look over to James 4 and verse 8. Oftentimes when we read this first part, we probably do not think about this in the context that it may be written. In other words, if you and I were to read that first sentence and stop and, and, and be honest with yourself so this, to make this point, and, and maybe you think about it in a different light, but when you hear the phrase, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you, do you immediately begin thinking about the positive things? I want a close relationship with God, so to draw near, I need to read my Scriptures more. That's true. I need to pray more. But what's the context here? I'm not saying those things aren't true, but what's the context here? Draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. He places it in context to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It sounds a whole lot like Psalms 51, where David is saying, I want to be cleansed from sin. I want to stop living this double-minded life. I want to be single, focused upon the Lord. I want to draw near to the presence of God. Please, please realize this. If you're longing for a relationship with God, sin has to be turned away from. That is the message that rings loud and clear as David longs to have that relationship with God. Let's close tonight by looking at John the 15th chapter to emphasize. John the 15th chapter, we're going to begin reading at verse 9. And let's see. Learning from Jesus... How Jesus longed to have a relationship with the Father, we too should long to have a close relationship with the Father and seeing what builds that close relationship. It's not just turning away from sin. There is so much more too, and this helps reveal it to us. John the 15th chapter, let's look at verse 9. As the Father loved me, now this is Jesus' prayer, or, or what Jesus is explaining about His relationship with the Father. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. How are we going to abide in the love of Jesus that is also the love of God? That's what we're talking about, that close relationship. Well, here's some instruction. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So obedience to God is one way that we draw close to God. These things I have spoken to you that my joy... Now, what's the topic tonight? The joy of salvation? That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus, tell me something that ought to just fill us up with joy. And he says, having a relationship with God that is so close that you keep all of his commandments. Someone says, I'm offended that, that, that you have placed my relationship with God about commandments. We went over that last Sunday night, didn't we? You can't separate the two in the Scriptures. Just in this one lesson, we've put an emphasis on drawing close to God as a being. But we cannot separate that from the fact of drawing close to that being by obeying His commandments. Friends, please, let's never get lopsided. 
As we obey, let's remember, it's about drawing close to God. And as we draw close to God, let's remember, it's about obeying. And that's what Jesus is trying to get us to see here. Let's read another verse. This, or two, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. So see, it's not only about loving God, it's also about loving each other, to have the Lord abide in us. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. The joy of salvation restored. David wanted to know that whatever breaks God's heart is what breaks his heart. Tonight, let's not make excuses. Let's just pour it out to God honestly and say, God, if it breaks your heart, it breaks mine. That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Not because he was perfect, but because he had a heart like God. What broke God's heart broke his. But David realized he couldn't do it on his own. And to know that he had the joy of salvation, that God will always do his part. And that God is not one that saves and walks away, but he wanted to be in the presence of God and the Spirit of God and close to God at all times. Friends, that's joy. To know that we have a God that walks with us through it all. The mountaintop experiences, and just as some in our congregation are experiencing this week, and also through the valley of the shadow of death, God's real. He's there. He's with us. If He's not with you right now, you abiding in Him, and as we studied, if you need to be baptized into Christ, or if you have but you strayed from Him and you need to come back, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.